Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 351st episode of MGG Fast Finance, the podcast that's 30% foil 100% of the time. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter, or Hive, or Mastodon, or wherever the hell it is we're supposed to be hanging out. My co-host is Derek the Dark Mage, aka at Oko Assassin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Welcome back, everyone. Derek here. Sorry for missing the cast last week. I had to go to and from Hawaii in about five days for Poor work. Poor baby. So. <laughs> I was sitting in a convention center just looking out at the nice sky. Didn't get <laughs> uh, didn't get the the lessons in, uh, on uh, the, the board, as James told me I should. But, you know, I'm back, and here we are again in never-ending spoiler season. Came back, I thought it'd be a quiet week, and of course we're already getting new cards, so plenty to talk about on the cast tonight. But before we jump in, I do want to remind folks that uh, we have this show being produced by mtgprice.com, the leading mtg finance community sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs chat on discord and read some of the best read articles from some of the best financial minds in the hobby i gotta say derek being being trapped in that aging convention center outside honolulu instead of out in the waves is a special kind of hell from my perspective MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. So, other than failing to surf, what's up uh, on the agenda this week? Well, James, we do have our normal four segments tonight. Uh, we're going to kick things off with our MTGO Metagame Weekend Review. After that, we're going to go to segment two, where we talk about the top movers of the week and discuss why we think those cards saw significant gains. Then we're on to section three, where we talk about our cards to watch, where we share our insights on those cards we have our eyes on at the moment. And finally, we will wrap things up with segment four, which is our topic of the week. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the jumpstart previews that we got Again, during the holiday week, which, again, previews, going back to the conversation last week and burnout and never-ending things, the, these previews never end. I think we had about a 36-hour lull, and then they're coming back, but <laughs> yeah. it gives us things they, to talk they, about. They, they so. basically wait till the new set has been out for two or three days when everybody's bored of it and stops buying it, and then move right on to the next preview season. I, I was literally doing my first bro seal draft when the the releases were coming out i'm just like i'm I'm literally playing the last set for the first time but yeah i I have heard though that the major retailers have not received the usual uh schedule product release schedule for 2023 set in stone yet uh and i'm curious as to whether recent events have wizards rethinking how they're spacing things out in the coming year or whether uh Q1 projects maybe move back due to logistics again. It'll be very uh, fascinating to see how that plays out. I hope so. I, you know, I think the biggest change they could do for for me is to make the commander decks a limited number of times a year and not have them release at the same time as sets. That's the one that gets me is when you're previewing two different types of products at the exact same time. Oh, it seems a bit much, but the the, the I... tricky part there is that they are strong contributors to 
putting additional interesting opens into the collector boosters because they tend to put the extended arts from all of those new cards into those boosters. And I think that one of the strengths of the collector boosters is that you can be surprised, especially if you're not paying strict attention to the spoiler season, as I suspect many players uh, are no longer capable of doing. Uh, it does make the the CB opens uh, a little bit more interesting. I was cracking uh, Brothers War last night and managed to stag myself a serialized Lodestone Golem number four twenty four out of five hundred. Nice. So mission accomplished there. Took took three boxes and it was a fun open. Transformers cards, all sorts of retro cards, retro and on foil, retro foil. Looking for the serialized. And there's a bunch of, you know, interesting rares and mythics in this set that are look like they're going to be fun to play with in Commander and other formats. And, you know, part of what made, you know, kept my attention while I was, you know, flicking through those pack contents was I had not carefully, super carefully tracked or memorized all of the Commander-specific cards. So seeing them come up in an extended art format was, you know, made the opening a little bit more interesting. Sure, I can see that. Well, should we should we move on to MTGO Metagame Weekend Review? We have the Modern Challenge from this past Saturday, November 19th. And it wasn't just a Modern Challenge, it was the Modern Showcase Challenge. This was a weekend of Showcase Challenges, which are the higher level tournaments that I guess are, are serve as qualifying, uh, a higher rung in the qualifying ladder. And this is all, of course, over on Magic Online, not on Arena. This Modern uh, Showcase Challenge was... One by Blue White Control, and I'm very curious as to who was in their top eight gauntlet because <laughs> whoever they prepped for is not what they ran into here. Is my best guess. They had second and sixth place were black and eighth place were black red scam. So that deck has, you know, solidified itself in the you know at least tier 1.5 in this format. Um, and then third place was Goblins, making a rare appearance. Fourth place was Charbelcher, making an even more rare appearance. Hardened Scales coming back out of nowhere in fifth. And then the Calibrated Blast combo deck that we've seen a couple more times in the top eight in the last six months or so was in seventh. So, you're, you know, you're the blue-white control player. You're thinking you're going to hit some Omnath. Maybe you're going to hit a black-red deck. You, you've got, like, Hammer Time in mind and, and some of the other, like, uh, you know, blue, red, murk tide, and you just hit none of the above. <laughs> right. Well, good for them though, because b- white, blue control hasn't been top eighting all that often, absent a very good pilot. So it's good to see it. I I did see on Twitter that these top eight lists aren't reflecting the actual top eight. So, for example, in this challenge, Bant control is actually fourth place. But it's listed as first place because the the listings is based on the Swiss pairings rather than oh, the top eight. Oh, so, so you're saying so, blue white control didn't take this down? It did. Correct. It was fourth place. Uh, elementals, four color elementals, actually took it down. No, no. This this must be. We're looking at different challenges then. I think that must be from the Sunday. Okay, well, for next week, we'll, do- we'll double check on that. I would be surprised if they're publishing someone as the winner of the showcase challenge that was only first in the Swiss. Well, I think part of it's the migration challenge. So this is the new Moto site. And so um, when they ported it over, I think they've ran into some issues of exporting with the Daybreak client who's posting the deck list these days. So I think long term it'll be fixed. Short term, at least last I saw it, was still a problem. Uh, Actually, no, we can see that you are correct uh, because at the top of the listings on mtgo.com, 
it does show you how the bracket played out. Oh, yeah, there it is. So the winner was, in fact, it was the Goblins deck. So I did to see that. Have to and it was stock this. Goblins, surprisingly. I, when I looked at it, I thought maybe something new was going on. I don't know about you. It seemed pretty stock to me. And it looks like Goblins beat Badslow, who was playing uh, Hardened Scales. So it was actually Goblins in first, Hardened Scales in second. What a weird matchup. <laughs> uh, yeah, that must have been interesting. They're both putting like... that's. Two aggro decks slamming up against each other. Right. Uh, I would imagine the card advantage in the long form of that game swings in in favor of the goblins. They do have a bunch of ways to kind of overload the board at various points in the game. Yeah, I would I would think the hardened scales would be trying to get in with the lands because they could get a fly above all the goblins and try to just one whack them. That would be my guess. That's kind of the game plan. Otherwise, you're just hitting a wall of random little creatures Alrighty, so that means that over in this pioneer showcase challenge it was actually taken down by black red mid-range they also were in fourth and eighth ish hard to know 100 percent for sure until somebody confirms those standings most interestingly one of these black red one of these black red mid-range decks was running three times misery's shadow which is the new black pump creature that also has a dothy voidwalker like effect uh, and the other two versions of the black red decks were running two copies. And as a result, we've seen that card spike this week. Looks like we had blue red Phoenix in second and third in this pioneer showcase challenge. Uh, and then white green angels was somewhere in the bottom four. I'm going to say fifth for argument's sake. They're running four Giada, four resplendent angel and three Kayla's reconstruction at a brother's war. There's a Corvold. Uh, sacrifice deck in the top eight a blue white control deck and that final black red mid-range finishing things off yeah the black red's not i guess that's surprising obviously it's been pretty solid lately the phoenix decks are doing much better and you know, there's a number of tournaments over the last weekend including in paper uh there was the european and the american pioneer regional qualifiers uh, which were up to 400 players. I think the European one I saw was 15 rounds. Uh, and a lot of people were on Phoenix because it does very well against the mono green decks, which were the largest representation. I think in, the, in one of the tournaments I saw, it was almost 20% of the decks were mono green. And so if you can beat that and have game against the rest of the field, you do pretty well. So Phoenix is doing pretty well. Yeah, I think the I, the Angels deck is the one that I hadn't seen before this. We uh, I don't know if you've mentioned that yet. Uh, it is a bunch of mediocre creatures that when you put them together do very well is what it seems to me um, including having four times Jada, four times uh, resplendent angel and uh, four times collected company plus which i hadn't seen before i looked at the deck list but uh kayla's reconstruction seems like it does a pretty good collected company impression uh, but that uh is one mana a little bit more expensive it is a three white and x and when you cast it uh you dig seven cards deep and you're able to put uh whatever x is number of three convert amount of cost or less creatures into battlefield so in these decks where your whole deck is that you know you play for five you're getting essentially a collected company you play it for more you're getting 
uh, even more value. So these decks seem to do pretty well. It's I think they've been around a little bit, but this is the first weekend I've seen them do very well uh, in a number of different tournaments. So I've, I've talked about on cast before that you, on Arena and Historic, you play against this Green White Angel deck all the all the time. Yeah, I mean you basically can't avoid it. I'd say thirty. As you're going moving through silver, it could be up to forty percent of your matches are against this deck, and and then it drops lower and lower as you climb up the ladders. So not tremendously surprised to see it doing work here. I'm sure the people that bought uh, Giada foil etched will be happy to see it seeing uh, more consistent play in Pioneer if that continues. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, Resplendent Angel has gotten really expensive. It's up to roughly, I mean, it's actually down a little bit from its peak, but it's now about a $30 card for the three uh, mana, three, three angel, like produces more uh, four, four flyers. If you gain five or more life a turn, it's just a solid, I mean, three, three flyer body for three is not terrible. And you add in all those other things. Plus you can pump your team for six. Uh, I think it's pretty much a linchpin of that deck. We also had the $10,000 8-slot RCQ at DreamHack Atlanta with 410 players playing Pioneer over the weekend. Looks like Rakdos Aggro, Fires of Invention, another Rakdos deck, Green, Mono Green Devotion, another Rakdos deck, and two White Weenie decks were the flavors of the weekend. Nothing too uh, surprising there for Pioneer. Yeah, it, it seems healthy, right? I mean, I think the thing people talk about is whether Nykthos or uh, Karn specifically are too much. To me, you look at the diversity here. It's fine. It looks just fine to me. And you know, I think people want bands just to change things up, honestly, which is not what rotating format should be about, in my opinion. And honestly, outside the unplayed standard format, I don't really understand anybody complaining about Constructed Magic in the last year. I mean, I, people can say whatever they want about MH2 power creep invalidating card collections and stuff because they're sad about their snapcasters and dark confidants and tarmogoyfs and whatever but the bottom line is that modern has never been this healthy there has never been this extended period where no bands were necessary and 10 to 20 decks were viable in the format yeah and they're changing often right which again that's what people don't like is because it forces you to spend money but again wizards is a business and that's that's their goal and whether you like the goal or not it's it, it is what it is. So I, I agree. I mean, I think all these formats have been pretty healthy. I think the fact that pros came in and did Modern Horizons 2 seems to have really have done its job. Um, it is, even though it changed the whole dynamic of the format, it didn't break anything, despite many people saying it would. Um, Ragavan's very good, but outside of Legacy, which who tests for that, uh, it, it is just fine. It's a very, very good card. Same with Urza Saga, same with the free creature spells and you know, you might not like how they play, but they certainly didn't break the format. I've also been trying to explain to people for a couple of weeks during various conversations on social media that Magic is not at all more expensive than it used to be. Standard is way down from where it used to be during the ban- the Booster Fund era compared to, say, something like Jeskai Black, where JVP decks were $1,000 a piece. Now, Standard decks are somewhere in the three to $500 range, which is about what it should be. And modern decks look like they have for the last 10 years. I mean, you've got a bunch of decks that are hovering in and around $1,000, many of which are full of cards that people probably had lying around. Others, clearly, if you wanted to play Five Color Omnath, for instance, it was called Money Pile for a reason. It's almost a $2,000 deck. It was even more when you were running the 80-card versions. 
And yeah, that's no joke if that's the deck you want to play. But you still got Burn available at 500, 500 bucks, and you've got Tron at under 700. And frankly, Standard being a three to $500 format and Modern being a $1,000 format makes perfect sense to me. Like that's Those are price points that seem entirely reasonable given the nature of those formats. Yeah, I mean, the Pioneer uh, Challenger decks or whatever they call them, I think, uh, what is the gateway, right? Standard in paper is pretty much dead. I think everyone largely agrees with that, at least currently. And so Mm -hmm. you kind of look at Pioneer, and and Pioneer, the the cheapest deck is Spirits. Mono Blue is 150 bucks, pretty competitive. You go to the high end, Rakdos is 600. I mean, that's not crazy. And, you know, the, the Challenger decks provide an entry point to a lot of things for for a very reasonable price and the blue red phoenix deck is under 400 the mono white humans deck that's been doing very well is 200 dollars. gruel mid-range has been doing well lately that's a 300 dollars deck i get that that there are people you know if you're a struggling student or just struggling in general it's very frustrating when things cost anything like you know you look at there it's very easy um especially during this this ongoing recession and post-COVID period, for people to just not have a few hundred dollars to throw at stuff. But that's yeah. the reality, and that has always been the reality of Magic. Magic is, if people are looking for it to transition into the living card game model where they just get to play virtually for free, that's just never going to be how this works. And and honestly, if it did, you would not like the result. Right? Like, if you if you could flip a switch today and be like, okay, now now this is how this game runs... You're not foreseeing what that will mean for how it will impact game design, number of products released, the you know the likelihood that there would be partnerships or advertising much more heavily associated with your product. You know you're gonna get you're gonna end up with ads on the back of your magic cards. <laughs> so you know if you can play Mono Blue Spirits and Pioneer for 155 dollars, um, or Angels for you know 350 or 400, Bant Spirits is 350. Abs and Grease Fang, $400. These are very reasonable prices for hobbies. I mean, yeah, it's, it, I, it's not yeah, as cheap as playing basketball at your local court, but it's about the same as if you want to go skiing. Right. I, I always think it's funny. I think you tweeted about this recently. People complain if you overprint things and yeah. it drives down the price. And then they also complain if their things aren't worth anything. And, yeah. you know, you, you can never really win. But even when there was the masterpieces going into things and Battle for Zendikar and... Um, Oath of the Gatewatch and things like that, and it just drove the price down to bulk on so many even good cards because there was just so much of it open for those premiums, and people were mad that everything in their collection wasn't worth anything, but then they could play standard for cheap. And again, I feel like it's you can never make people happy, but it, hopefully there's a middle ground. And and I think honestly, right now being able to get into Pioneer at three, four, five hundred dollars and have the top tier deck and you know upgrading to modern for a thousand it's not the worst place to be is it where everyone can afford no but neither is many hobbies and hopefully um people are smart about it and buy into decks that have some stain value and rotation doesn't absolutely crush them but you know there will be changes over time and i think it will cost people money but that's why you separate the gaming part from the spec part because i've i just looked at my personal collection list the other day and i got decimated on so many things i bought but you know what it doesn't bother me because i'm i'm buying them to play them i'm buying them to use them 
as an entertainment piece, not a speculative piece. Well, and that's just it. Like, you can amortize that very easily over some reasonable period of time. So the question then becomes, how long should, I say, a modern or pioneer deck last? I'm going to argue that 60 to 70% of the pieces in your deck, if it's not a hyper-specialized deck that ends up hated out of a format, so a kind of a generic deck is something like a blue-red uh, Murktide in Modern or a blue-red Phoenix in in Pioneer. These are decks that are just kind of probably going to be around for a long time and, and, and have been for a while. And I would argue that if you can play that deck for, if those are the costs as we just discussed them, and you can play that deck for somewhere between a year and three years, you're doing fine. Like that is a completely re- reasonable amortization schedule for that deck. Right. I also, I also I think there's like the biggest issue with Magic right now isn't anything specific. It's uh, they have a, a rolling PR problem, <laughs> especially on Twitter. Uh, hard to say how that translates to kitchen table magic. And obviously, the argument from the their side has always been that those of us that are in the trenches, very enfranchised players, either on the competitive or uh, finance side, don't have the most accurate perspective because we're such a overall you know tiny segment of their the the market that they actually face but by way of example in terms of perception i heard a bunch of people talking about how you know brothers war there's nothing good in it and like you don't want to open it because it's dog shit so i assumed that meant there that everything but say one card must be under twenty dollars and and went to look it up on tcg player today as we was doing research and there are multiple multiple mythics from this set that a yep. week after release are sitting over $10. So we've got uh, Urza and Mishra both hovering near 30 Very respectable. Portal to Phyrexia, based on the strength from that modern deck that Spike has been fooling around with and people trying to make Goblin Engineer and Portal work, is sitting at $25. You have Extended Arts for Awaken the Woods, Gix, Myrel and Phyrexian uh, Flesh Gorger all sitting over $15. Awaken the Woods regulars are at $17. Titania regulars are at $17. Teferi's over $10. Arcane Proxy is, and in terms of the rares, Diabolic Edict sitting at about $8. You've got Cityscape Leveler at $7. And that Misery Shadow is, you know, has bumped up several dollars to be in the $4 to $6 range. That's an totally normal actually better than average average price point for your mythics on opening week clearly the response to that should be sell like if you did open go ahead and sell those mythics at ten dollars plus and you'll be doing just fine yeah well i mean i I think part of it is people aren't are still not used to or happy with increased prices for some of these products which doesn't help either but well i think I, i think i think some of the commentary comes from people that are still in this kind of old mindset and open draft boxes, right? Where you can't get the set booster goodies because transformers are limited to collector boosters and set boosters. The list cards are limited to set boosters and the serialized cards, which are sucking up some of the EV here, the one of 500s and the shattered glass foil transformers, they only come out of the CVs. So yeah, if you're, if you're people need to understand that draft boxes are not for collectors at all anymore. Draft, Draft boxes are for people that want to draft with their friends. 
And even there, they screwed it up, I think, because the, some of those uh, schematics are broken <laughs> in draft. I, I was playing with Worm Coils and oh, yeah. oh, Staff of Domination and a few others. I'm just like, this is this is not fair. The, the schematics really do mess with this, this limited format because you can go 3-0 on the arena ladder with a solid draft deck and then you bump into somebody with Platinum Angel. Or you bump into somebody who can recurse Worm Coil Engine. Or you bump into somebody who's got the Howling Mine green one drop oh, combo yeah. where they yeah, can like tap slick. it they can tap it down on your upkeep so you don't draw the extra card. <laughs> yep. And then they just get double draws for the rest of the game for two mana. Yeah, there there are some very silly things. Like I, I, I drafted a mind's eye today, like pick one, pack one. I was like, yeah, that seems like that probably will work out. I'm looking through the list, trying to think through what is the what is the card I fear the most in the uh, in that slot. Probably Helm of the Host, maybe. That would be rough. That's nasty. Worm Coil's pretty bad. Yep. I mean, there's there's, there's several bad things that can happen that have interactions be- with other things in the set because it's an artifact focused set, and that really like like amps it up because they can combo. As opposed to just being like generically good cards that don't really synergize in your deck, they absolutely synergize in, in the deck if you build it right. Hmm. So anyway, yeah, I agree. I agree that that is you know it, that it's an odd limited format, but I have been having fun playing yes, it. Yes, same, same. The um, but yeah, to get back to the the other the the, the, the you know product focus thing, yeah, draft draft boxes aren't for collectors; they're just for drafting. So. But the flip side of that is this, you know, to allude, to connect this back to what we were talking about before, is that that makes regular standard cards cheaper. When when all of the value is in the set boosters and CBs, that should make regular versions of cards cheaper, and indeed they are. So, so cheap. So, I mean, I don't, don't really understand what there is to complain about there other than, you know, pace of product release. All right, so yeah. we can move along over here to Top Paper Movers of the Week. Uh, a while back on this cast, I was talking with Travis about how I thought foil original foil shocks were going to be $1,000 plus cards in the not-too-distant future. And there has I've been tracking this trend line all the way through the last year, and indeed we are headed in that direction. We've got Hallowed Fountain leading off this list, Foils from Dissension, Remaining couple of copies near 500 dried up on TCG Player. Now all you've got is a couple of copies listed near 700. This is also true of Blood Crypt. It's true of Breeding Pool. It's true of most of them. And I have there's little doubt in my mind that we're something like 10 to 20 transactions away from most of these cards to pushing them up into the 800 to thousand dollar range because these are just so hard to find now and when they get absorbed into edh collections they never come out yeah i mean they're they're just uh rare especially you know high quality ones the modestly played ones a little bit less but near mint these old originals i mean they're they're just collector pieces at this point i don't think anyone's buying them at these prices to play with them i hope not anyway oh i disagree i, I think for sure they're going into edh decks yeah the I hope not. I, I, I probably you're probably right, but I hope not. Well, and here's the interesting thing: if you look at the original foil price of shocks and compare it to revised non-foil duels, we're getting into some very interesting territory here. Mm, yeah, B- because as the if these foils push 
much higher, they will across the board end up being more expensive than duels. Yeah, I mean, this is more expensive than Tundra even before the price jump, so it's already there. Yeah, and and this this is the, that gap will continue to widen because people are more excited and there are less of the original foil shocks floating around than there are revised duels given the print run of revised. It's, it's a big part of why I, why I never went super deep into revised duels because dealers kept telling me there was actually tons of them floating around. Yeah. I mean, I own some for decks, but A, I got them a lot cheaper than they are now, and B, I again, if, if it's a personal card, I don't even feel bad. Um, I think I overpaid by like $80 a couple months ago for a Tundra because I wanted one for a tournament I was playing in and I was at my local LGS and I was like, yeah, what do I care? I'm giving them some extra money for the LGS. They're happy. I'm happy. Everyone wins. If I was doing that for a spec, I would be, you know, losing money, but I'm not. You're doing it for fun. All of my duels were acquired four, five, six years ago through Card Kingdom buy list exits or trades for the most part. I think I've got a couple of pristine ones that I kept from the super collection that I sold like better part of a decade ago and i mean the the play on duels has always been you know cross-border arbitrage or buying collections and then flipping the duels at like plus 15 percent or whatever and that's yeah. just has never been a core focus of mine but anyway if if you have any interest in owning these foil shocks for your commander decks there's no time like the present that is for sure all right so arkham dagson out of double masters yeah, so 6 to 10, 60% gains. Artifact decks being big right now. There's only two copy, two printings of this, I believe. Cold Snap and Double Masters, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that's correct. There's a Surrealist Planes that was handed out with one of the secret layers. Planes number 393. Those foils have gone 40 to 68. I was trying to figure out what, what secret layer that was, because I know I don't have any of that in stock. I had never seen that before. I looked it up before the cast. I don't have any idea where that came from. I don't know if that was an an extra that was that was added i'd have to I, i'm gonna have to go double check that there was also gale rider sliver was one of the includes in the secret layers this year uh foils of that extended art version went 28 to 48 that's 71 percent canes and then we had a whole bunch of these brothers war mythics that i was talking about getting pushed up on opening weekend instead of pushed down and that is slightly unusual so titania voice of gaia 10 to 20 100 gains uh, we had Mishra claimed by Gix, 12 to 30, uh, on the back of Standard and EDH play. We had Misery's Shadow Extended Arts go 2 to $8. That's the Pioneer play. I'm seller of all of the above. They're going to have to crash as the supply continues to fill in the gaps. Yep. And then back down the list, we've got Triumph of St. Catherine out of 40k going 9 to 18. This card does not seem particularly important in any specific deck right now in EDH, and I think that this is people targeting the 40k cards as the presumed additional inventory has not yet appeared to fill in the gaps on TCG Player. Uh, I would be cautious about getting caught holding if when the non-foils uh, do make an appearance across uh, North American distribution. So be careful there. There's also Crypto Thrall. I saw some pro traders trying to hype up and look like they were in, involved in buying some. $2 copies going to $8, clearly targeted, uh, but it's also good in a lot of the artifact decks that people are building post-Brothers War, post-40K. White Plume Adventurer. This is a legacy card, Death and Taxes? Death and Taxes. It did uh, first place this weekend with four copies of Legacy Plume Adventurer combined with 
Season Dungeoner. Yeah, White Plume Adventure combined with Season Dungeoneer, which are very similar. They both use the initiative mechanic, which I wish didn't exist. It uh, It's one of those mechanics that, you know, I see and you're just like, I hope that never goes anywhere. And now it apparently has. So I had to watch some legacy videos to really understand why a derpy card like this can actually see play, in my opinion. And if I ever go back to play Legacy, I'm going to play this deck and I'm going to bring a whiteboard. And then I'm going to draw a fancy dungeon on it. And I'm going to have like a little magnet. And I'm going to move my character through the dungeon by like reaching up behind me. <laughs> I need this card. So I, it's just like anything in Death and Taxes. I mean, Death and Taxes is known to be that deck where you look at the cards and you're like, these are trash. How can they see play in Legacy? But they do. And they work because there's enough denial strategies and all of those things that, you know, you can get by playing a lot of weird stuff. Uh, and the initiative and the dungeon is, it's just good value, right? It's just over and over again, you're accruing value, you're, you're getting ahead, all those things. So it works apparently, but even after watching a couple videos, I didn't, I don't, I still don't really understand it. I'd like to learn a little bit more about what makes it better than old version of death and taxes. Looks like tandem lookout foils out of Avacyn Restored were bought out, pushed from 2 to $12. That's going to be Gearson that people are trying to make a play on there. And then Preeminent Captain at a Morning Tide uh, foils 2 to 18 That's going to be Soldier Hype. In both cases, you absolutely want to sell into that hype because there's very little chance that they're going to hold, hold those price points. Yep, I agree. The only Soldier thing I think I'm interested in once they're really cheap, not now, is the lands. Because eventually, maybe they make some really good soldier stuff and get in more some more good hype, and those lands go up like we've seen on some of the other tribal lands. But that's that's down the road. So take it from the guy who bought fifty foil Haven of the Spirit Dragon and had to sit on them for four years before they <laughs> finally started making me money. I don't think you want to go after the soldier foil lands. The I would I would leave that well al- alone and then just buy them in the shadow of whatever announcement makes them. Sure, move. yeah, that probably makes more sense. Although, so were you buying foils of this, the Haven? I, I think I was buying foil havens because of Dragons of Tarkir. Yeah, and then it ended up being Tiamat. That and then later the CLB dragons and Ur Dragon being very popular in 2022 that ended up moving a lot of them. I ended up selling a bunch of foil Sarkin Unbrokens that I was stuck with from back in the DTK era and foil Haven of the Spirit Dragons and the dragon casting cost reducers and so forth. I mean, honestly, looking at the charts, that seemed like it worked out just fine. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, the hold wasn't terrible. It was like three to four dollar foil copies that I sell for 15 to 20 now. So yeah, yeah, reasonable. It took time took time but reason many things do if you can get three to four times return it can make up for how long you're waiting on it yeah uh, but yeah well, i mean it they would have been buy listed long ago if they weren't foils <laughs> because sure. of course my foil inventory carries the baggage that you it's a much harder to buy list than profitably yeah. so if, if i'm bricking like i was with uh third path iconoclast on Friday, uh, when CK had them posted at sixty cents, I'm buying not non foils, which is what I did there. Nice, um, and yeah. they're they're already offering a dollar on those. Some of the bricks out there uh, right now. I mean, just I think it's a mixture of there's so much supply of like Brothers War, but also just limited cash right now. You know, so many people are stretched thin. There's some deals. I was just looking at uh, Mishra's Bobble Old Border. People were excited to buy them at you know I don't buck fifty at one point now. 
Um, a, a day or two later, there's a 60 stack sitting there for 90 cents. I really want to just snap some of those off. I probably should. But. And, th- and they look great, but I don't think we need to be in any rush because that inventory no. is going to continue yeah. to fill in. And we're heading into the holiday season, which is traditionally the biggest price level of the year where yep. sales drop. Like, I-, I basically sell nothing for two or three weeks in mid-December. You'd think that there'd be like major Magic the Gathering people buying gifts vibes, but it's usually quite the opposite. The people that usually buy for themselves have to turn their cash towards their <laughs> loved ones. Yeah. And I- might. My eBay sales tend to drop to almost nothing during that period. I hold and try to spend, I don't know, probably 10 10 to 20% of my budget for the year between, you know, December 20th through January 3rd, because, you know, things are, you know, even if they're not at their lows, it's flirting around that area. Maybe they take a month or two to pick up, but you're, you're getting things at a pretty good price, um, and you don't have to compete. I hate trying to get on TCG if they have like a 10% discount and everyone's buying out stacks and this and that. I'd rather do it on my own time and pay a little bit more if I really have to. Because the bro collector boosters have multiple dedicated slots for the old border stuff, that stuff has to just crash and stay crashed for a long time. It's going to be like worse than Mystical Archives, I think. It also means that the transformers that are not foil shattered glass are dirt cheap. Like oh, Optimus, yeah. Optimus Prime, like G1 version, not Shattered Glass, in foil as a Mythic is $4 because there's only 15 Transformers and they have a dedicated slot. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the, yeah, I mean, the, and, and those cards are also only relevant for commander purposes. So none of that helps them. And right. as a result, like I opened a foil, uh, old border foil, uh, Mishra's Bobble last night. And I was like, holy shit, these look awesome. However cheap these things get, yeah. Fig- figure out what you want for various decks and scoop, scoop, scoop away. Because mid-December, you should be able to get excellent prices on all of that. And, you know, that's going to be the focus of my, uh, the collector series on MTG Price moving forward will be all of this amazing Booster Fun era stuff that is dirt cheap because there's a supply glut and helping people to build out collections real, real cheap. Yeah, Time Spot Where a Mastered is a good... Um, analog for some of these i was buying things for you know a dollar dollar fifty that quickly rebounded and it was just one of those things if you get you get nice old borders that just have huge supply and relatively modest demand at the time um you know you just get a, you know, a really good bulk deal and these are the type of things that you can brick because they're non-foils they're basic you're spending very little you know a dollar to a piece and so you can buy a couple hundred make it worth your time diversify and you know come out two years later and you're gonna make some good money pretty pretty sure all right tell me about the magic online big movers of the week sure so we talked about two of them which is the legacy death and taxes cards season dungeoneer and white plume adventurer uh as i said i think they're derpy but they do work they top uh they they won the legacy challenge and as a result they went from uh 13 and 25 dollars respectively to 40 to 60 dollars respectively for 150 to 200 percent gains this is one of those that it was just telegraphed right you had cards that were low supply they only come out of treasure chests on magic online they're not draftable and so there's very few in circulation and so all of a sudden you have a card that is now playable uh, in a top deck that everyone wants to try, the bots are trying to get get stocked up for all the people that are trying to rent these cards, and it just surged. So good good for people that got in on that. Um, I was traveling to Hawaii, so I did not, but I'm sure others made money. 
um, Brothers War, mostly everything was going down. I shorted the whole set at about 190 tickets per set, uh, and they're currently at about 140 tickets, so about 50 tickets gained per, you can short a whole playset, so about 160 profit there, so while most nice. things are going down, though, there was a few things that did go up, one of which is Brotherhood's End, so this is the uh, three mana red deal anger three of anger of the gods, but also tacked onto that the ability to sweep artifacts that are cheap. Um, so dual mode, more flexibility, uh, and that went from five to sixteen ticks for about two hundred percent gains because it's seen play in, in both standard and pioneer, uh, and maybe testing elsewhere, but that's where it's seen some success. I, I think that'll come back down over time as the supply opens up, but I do think in paper, if, you know, if, again, if Pioneer is relevant and you know down the line, if it doesn't see a bunch of reprints, this is something we could see get a little bit more expensive there. Uh, and finally, the Angels deck again has seen more success, and so Resplendent Angel went from just a, a one ticket to eight tickets for seven hundred percent gains. Um, and this is one that you know the Pi Angel deck's been around for a while, but it, it really had a pretty good weekend, and people are reflecting that in the price. Is it fair to say that the advent of more and more people using the deck rental services, allowing people to move from one deck to another very quickly, whereas in the past they would have, you know, stick, stuck with the deck they had to avoid having to buy additional cards, does that lead to exacerbated price spikes on random cards that are only really found in a specific archetype as that archetype emerges? It depends on the supply. So if the supply is pretty deep, then you really need actual people buying it because the bots only need so many copies. But when supply is shallow or a set is new, it absolutely does that because the bots, specifically we're talking about, there's a few vendors that you know rent these cards to people. You can sign up for you know 300 ticket limit to a 900 ticket limit. Uh, and what you do is you say, I want these cards. They rent them to you. They trade them to you. And then once you're done, you trade them back. Uh, but the the thing is to operate they need to get their cards right they can't have people out there getting angry about not having the cards that they want in stock we saw some of that with modern horizons 2 where for months because these cards were so expensive and so limited supply there was times where you could get these cards for the weekend tournaments like across the board they just weren't available and people were leaving their services so by and large these services do anything they need to to get these cards which means they're price insensitive and so when a one $1 card goes to $8, they just keep buying because they need the cards to keep their people happy. Whereas a consumer would go, oh, it just spiked really hard. I'm going to wait a week and come back and maybe it'll be down. Uh, the bots don't have that advantage. So yes, absolutely. It leads to more um, pressure immediately. And then similarly, if the deck cools off, I think the bots dump their copies too. And so it leads to quicker, quicker crashes in addition to quicker gains. Gotcha. All right, let's move on over to cards to watch. I got a couple of interesting ones here, as do you. I'm going to take a look first at the Lord of Atlantis 30th Anniversary Promo, which is a Japanese exclusive. Uh, I noticed on TCG Player that the there's only, only like two vendors with five or six copies each that have them posted at $50 plus. Uh, Harayuya was sold out when I went to check, uh, I think around $27 uh, with conversion. But over on eBay, you can still pick these up, uh, onesie, twosie, threesie from people in Japan that have posted them at around $15 or $16. 
And given that Merfolk is actually a viable deck in Modern right now, and it's entirely possible that Lord of Atlantis may be relevant in Standard and or Pioneer in the future, like it's entirely a card that whose power level could lead it to see play in a future visit to Ixalan or any other Merfolk-inclined plane, leads me to believe that these are probably going to be a double-up given, say, 12 to 18 months worth of time uh, once the 30th promos dry up. So what's the supply? Is it just this year, basically? Yeah, I think this year, and you have to get it from your their LGS handouts, but Jap- Japan right. only. So all Got the inventory it. is being arbitraged over from Japan, but it looks like people have already scooped early copies in that probably 10 to $15 range and have dried up a lot of what I'm seeing um, from the major retailers in Japan. And it doesn't look like there's tremendous uh, North American-located inventory um, as I said, so, and this is yeah. a good looking, good looking version that is because it's geo specific, um, has a better chance of getting somewhere. Okay. So I'm looking at the other older versions, kind of unique versions to see what, what like a high end premium goes for. It looks like the judge promo was 70 and it's been slowly declining down to about 45. That's foil only though. Um, there's the junior, junior super series yeah. that's you know 40 to 60 40 to 60 but these are all foil which is not necessarily what a tournament player wants which is a lot of the merfolk people and a beta is like 400 500 600 depending on the quality well i mean so. I, I think you and i both know that for something like modern as opposed to say pioneer or standard foil players actually exist in a reasonable quantity it could be i don't know 15 or 20 percent of the market um, you know, at your local LGS playing FNM Modern, but the whole deck has to be foil. And oh, I think, yeah. and I think Merfolk is one of the decks that, as Jund used to be, when Jund felt like it would be in the format forever and lasted, you know, a solid ten years in the format before it finally fell out of favor. Um, you know, the the key pieces of Merfolk, including Lord of Atlantis, have never changed. They've gotten some additional pieces along the way that have subbed in, but Lord of Atlantis has never faded from the list. So. Right. It, it, I, I would imagine there are a lot more of these JSS and Judge promos in modern decks than there are in EDH decks, just because we don't have a super popular Merfolk commander in EDH. So these also come in non-foil, it looks like, at least on TCG. Yeah. I would, I would actually like the non-foil almost a little better, just because you have less competition in the premium slot for the non-foil with unique art than you do with the foil personally but i i I, this these type of things i trust your judgment because i don't do foreign and i don't try to do high-end premium so i think you got a better handle of what's going on here one of the nice things about the foreign aspect here is that every merfolk player knows what this card does they don't need to read it (laughs) oh yeah because they you know corbin's been playing it forever right (laughs) the they get it so yeah i i think this is a card to keep an eye on i'm not sure how long like whether I didn't double check whether this was a monthly handout or that this will be distributed throughout the year in Japan. But given where what the inventory levels look like at present, I would double check on that before you make a move. And then if it looks like there's no like, you know, because sometimes with the judge promo, if you go in on them after the first distribution, you can wreck yourself because there'll be another distribution at various conferences for the next six months or something. Right. And you want to you want to wait towards the end of that process a lot of the time to pick up your copies. So I would yeah, just double, double check the situation in terms of the LGS dis- distribution. But those $15 copies on eBay just look like a slam dunk to me. You can That's get a full playset for 60 cheap. bucks. Yeah. yeah, You can just get a full playset for 60 and roll. 
I still have to exit my old border four and black border copies. If anyone's looking for a playset, I got you covered. <laughs> um, all right. So my first pick is Mirrorbox from Neon Dynasty, uh, specifically the extended art versions in foil, which are very cheap, um, as they should be. It's a, a rare from a new set, uh, but these are only about two fifty. And Mirrorbox is one of those cards. It's it's essentially Mirror Gallery uh, with additions, and so it provides the uh, ability to avoid the legendary rule but on top of that it adds a couple different things which may or may not be relevant to you but bottom line the legendary rule is something that is um you often decks want to avoid we've seen that with mirror gallery where it's not a, a superb card but it got expensive over time uh and mirror has a little bit more utility because it gives each legendary creature plus one 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 uh and some other things and so you know my my bet on this is that over the next two three years as supply starts to drain out, that these will get up to uh, about $10. So nothing crazy, but right now with $250, you could get a pretty solid double up even after fees. Um, and one of the things that was striking to me is, unlike a lot of the Neo cards, there's really not any walls on this. So if you look on TCG Player, there are um, no listings for four copies or more that are a reasonable price. The only one on there is $20 a copy. Um, and so even though there's 50 vendors which is still, again, very relatively low for a new set. Uh, the fact that there's no walls and that these are being purchased at a relatively steady clip uh, combined with the re relevant reference price of, of Mirror Gallery gave me some confidence that over time, whether it's you know two years or longer, that this would probably do well, and I don't think they're going to reprint a premium edition of this because it's, it's just not that great of a card that would warrant a, a reprint anytime soon. I'm looking through the variety of commanders that make use of this, and you see it a lot with Orvar, uh, Lord Xander. There's some people getting cute with the various Sakashima versions. Oh, God, that's gross. I, we, I've had to face Minsk and Boo multiple times in our Pro Trader EDH nights, and I don't know how everybody missed how good that card is. It is so nasty. And... If you have a mirror box out, then you get a boo every turn, even if you had another one already. Uh, yeah, that's pretty gross. Um, it's a fairly specialized card. I don't think it has massive curb appeal. I, I, I often try to think about e commander cards in terms of how a casual player views them in a showcase and whether they get what the card is offering them. And I think that this card is kind of subtle, but it's already in 16,000 decks on EDH Rack, which is, puts it in top 10 or so for Neon Dynasty. You'd have to double check that, but I think that's probably correct. Top 15, anyway, from that set. There's more decks running that than there are Fable of the Mirror Breaker, according to EDH Rack. Which seems crazy. Seems crazy if you've played with Fable and Constructed. Mm -hmm. Now, over in EDH, that card doesn't do as much work. I mean, I love it in my Corvold build, but... There's a lot of builds where it wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be amazing. Anyway, yeah, this is I I think it's gonna take some time for these to drain out. I mean, we're looking at 58 listings. There's no huge walls. Neon Dynasty CBs have for the most part probably been cracked to the degree that they're going to be. I noticed that there's not a lot of uh, gaming company action, but you never know when that will pop up. 
Right. That is always the risk. And one of the things I looked at with this type of card is maybe just get the basic version. But it's not that much cheaper, honestly. The the cheapest wall for a basic version is a buck eighty, so seventy cents less. I mean that's fine, but it's not a huge savings. The art also lends itself to the extended art version and the yeah. the silver works well with foiling in the FAAs. And there, there is the showcase version, which is more Japanese looking. Um, the sales on that weren't as hot and it's a little bit more expensive. So I think between the two of them, yeah, that's why I landed yeah. on the EA. Aimed a little lower. All right, moving along. I've got one that's kind of a, a future forward target. I'm marketing, marking this yellow on our sheet as I do when I'm trying to pick a bottom we're not yet at. I was looking over the 30th anniversary secret layer advent calendar cards, uh, which people are by and large very pleased with, although I've heard that there are quality control issues both in terms of how the cards were cut. Usually it means that there's a dull cutting blade being used if you get this like kind of raised ridge on the edges. There were reports that some of the cards seemed to be damaged by the booster packs they came in not fitting properly um, on a couple of the years in particular. But anyway, Shark Typhoon Borderless out of this set has got to be a target. Now, I don't know if you're supposed to get in right now or three, six, or nine months from now, but I'm going to say that the 8 to $9 copies that are present this week, at some point we'll probably see some weakness as the hype cycle moves on and people forget about these, and you'll be able to pick them up around 5 or 6 bucks would be my guess. And I would imagine that then over the subsequent one to two years, you'll see those go, say, 5 or 6 to 15 it's got that like 70s horror movie exploitation poster style. Just works perfectly with the concept of a shark typhoon. They look amazing. I'm talking about non-foil versions here, not the foils, because I think like as a blue-white control player, uh, I, I picture those being the kind of people that that want their decks very like letter of the law. And it le- leads me to believe that they don't foil their decks out as much. Maybe that's just imagination. I mean, I play uh, Esper Control in Pioneer, and I could care less about whether my deck is foil or not foil. But these Shark Typhoons are really, really good looking. Right up there with alongside Necropotence and a few of the other cards. I also think the Deathrite Shaman looks really amazing uh, out of this set. And they're in 26,000 decks on EDH Rec. And then they've got Pioneer and Modern Blue-White control play to prop them up those decks are steady in those formats this just seems like it's going to be a no-brainer given enough time yep i i wanted to pick this one it wasn't at the price point i wanted so i have not done so yet you beat me to it i completely agree um the i mean the entry price is the only question mark right so a lot of these are landing right now whether the low is now or in a couple months i don't know but these will go back up, as you said. Pioneer, Modern, even Legacy, um, Standstill plays this in uh, four copies. So it is broad appeal. Um, I will say Modern players, um, Blue-White Modern players tend to foil their decks, but I don't think that's a drag here. I mean, you, you, more people play non-foil than foil. But, uh, you know, I think it goes along with the uh, control players think they're better than everyone so they have to have the better cards but that's all right i'm a control player i can say that if that's what you believe then i mean the foil you can take a look at the foils for sure people were saying that that we're predicting that the foils and non-foils would be the same price as they usually are for secret layers but as i predicted that's not true because since only 30 percent of the cards are foil it means there are less foils posted to tcg player overall on a per card basis and so for cards like shark typhoon and necropotence etc the foils are carrying a significant premium i think the chrome moxes are over a hundred dollars in foil if i'm not mistaken 
Yeah, yeah. So, no, I, I, I think this is great. I think it's just a matter of figuring out the price that you want to enter at and just kind of watch it, keep an eye on it, and when you're ready to pull the trigger, go for it and give it give it a little bit of time, and I think it'll do just fine. All right, what's your final selection here? So this final selection, I mean, okay, one of the interesting things about being on this cast is having to pick every week a couple picks. It, you know, sometimes you're like, well, I don't know what to pick, and you just start digging and looking around. And this is one of those that I found through digging and looking around that I didn't even know existed. I didn't realize it was even a reprint, which is Primeval's Glorious Rebirth. Um, I didn't realize this was a Dominaria card originally that got reprinted recently in Dominaria United. Uh, and in in the DMC, not in the set proper. Yeah, in the in the Commander set, um, mm-hmm. and that was of course the reprint was new art but non foil. And so I looked, and it has, you know, 20-some thousand decks, so pretty respectable. But in addition, so this is a five mana, so one white, one black, five colorless for a legendary sorcery, meaning these don't you don't come across these all that often, so I'll remind you, uh, it means you can only cast a legendary sorcery if you control a legendary creature or planeswalker. And what it does is it returns all legendary permanents from your graveyard to the battlefield. So a very big, very splashy effect. Uh, but the fact that it's a legendary sorcery tells me it's unlikely to be reprinted very often. It already had a multi-year gap between reprintings. And so the the fact that there's only the one foil copy, uh, one foil edition in Dominaria original in foil, uh, you know, it seemed like that would be something that could grow over time because it's in a number of decks, it's splashy, it's hard to reprint. So I took a look, and the supply of the original foils are pretty shallow uh and the price is pretty low relatively speaking and so i think this is one that you know i wouldn't go super deep but i like picking off a couple of these copies around five dollars and looking to exit around 15 and i think that's pretty reasonable considering there's only you know 40 or so listings but when you look at near mints there's only 12 copies uh there's a few more in the eu but still not a ton of near mints and so I think this is one where you can get in for a few copies, sit on it for a year or two, and exit um, once the next big splashy thing in these colors comes into play that uh, prompts people buying a few copies to combo off. This doesn't sell all that often on TCG Player. It's kind of like one every few days kind of thing in either LP or near mint. But I agree with you that despite the art from the DMC version being superior, it's not foil. And the thing that's actually supporting this card is Joda being the number two commander in the world right now. I'm also of the opinion that as opposed to something like Gearson Starn, which I expect will rotate out of the top 10 commanders, I think Joda has a pretty solid chance to stay in the top 10 for a long time in the vein of Atraxa because there are so many ways to build Joda. Like Joda just wants you to be playing legendary spells the more commander-focused product they make, the more of the cards fit that bill. Yep. And that lets you build and rebuild Joda in the same way that I've always done with Atraxa. To the point where I realized last night I was, as I was opening my collector boosters from Bro that I finally figured out what I want to do with my Joda because I've had it like 70% built for a while, but it's so similar to the builds that other pro traders had tabled. I had neglected to finish it off because I was just wasn't that excited to play a version I'd already played against a bunch of times. And then I realized you can just take all the Transformers and jam them into Joda and yeah. then take a bunch of Brea pieces that work with the with those cards and make it legendary artifact creatures. And you have a whole new deck that'll be very, 
very, very different <laughs> from from the decks that other people are playing. And the Transformers have all sorts of weird interactions with one another that are going to be like going to lead to some interesting gameplay. So I, I think Jota's great. This card brings all your legendary creatures, Transformers, Planeswalkers, whatever, back from the battlefield. It also works in Atraxa, who's been in the top 10 forever, um, because you it returns all your Planeswalkers to play. So that's where the you know the the demand profile is coming from and i i think you're dead on that though this is relatively shallow sales pattern they're probably not going to print foils of this for a long long time if ever like this is the kind of card where you'll see the non-foil show up in decks here and there when the theme is correct but this could go easy 10 years without a reprint and foil yeah, I, I agree. And I, just the legendary matters, which both of my picks this week are, I think more and more Wizards just keeps printing legendary matters things. And so over time, something's going to trigger it, whether it's, you know, Jota staying in and just slowly um, eating up copies or something else or the new Dragon of the Week that's five colors. Any of these things could, could bring things back. And so, um, you know, I, this is a long game pick, whether it's a year or four years from now. At some point, I think you make money. It's just a matter of how, how long it takes for that pressure to be applied. The threats here are the usual threats. This could be a secret layer. Yeah. And during for the Dominaria remastered uh, release that we're getting in Q1 of 2023, this is a Dominaria card. This could be included. Yeah, and they could just throw in as filler, right? I'm just yeah, they yeah they could just throw this in as like an extended art rare that has a picture of the five because this is this thing depicts the five primeval dragons being reborn during this specific story moment in the distant past in Dominaria. So it it could with fresh art be a very sexy looking extended art. In which case, if there are foil extended arts that go down to two or three dollars or whatever, then the spec is dead. Yep. I yeah. So I don't go deep. Because it could just get blown out, but this is one I'll probably pick up. You know, two, three copies, throw them on TCG, set it for fifteen, forget it, and hopefully it triggers. And if I see it get reprinted, I go shoot, I missed out on that one. Um, again, if you diversify, you don't have to worry about getting blown out because the next one's right around the corner. Got some sell calls to add to the cards to watch segment this week. I think that the serialized cards, the shattered glass cards, especially. If it's not Mox Amber, if it's not Optimus Prime or Megatron, um, Misery Shadow and almost all of those mythics that I flagged over $10 from Bro, those have to be. The hype focus is going to roll on. The collectors that are most interested in picking that stuff up ha- are already in the trenches picking up what they want. Like I saw one guy on Facebook who's trying to get one of all of the serialized cards. Hmm. So he, he had like an open call to do deals for any cards he didn't have yet. And those people will drive some action for a little while, but then they're going to complete whatever their project is and they're going to roll on. Yeah. I remember when people were paying AK for uh, old border foil times by remastered sets, eight, 9,000, just trying to pick up their set while it was hot. Those well, I mean, and, and just, just look at what happened to me with holding two different versions of a mono Lily at two different times with two different entry points. I first picked one up around, I think it was 350 and sold it for 650 within a week and felt brilliant. And then later ended up <laughs> getting it back from CK at 1100. And then at one point, the was offered 4500 from somebody in Japan and turned it down. And now you'd be lucky to get two grand, two and a half grand on it. Right. Whereas the pre-release version that I got from Card Kingdom via credit 
at 1100 I ended up selling for 3500 and it's all timing like you just you can't get greedy when there's a good get like when it was 4500 and I was like ah I can get 6000 okay maybe <laughs> maybe you can but maybe it's going to go the other way and you never really know for sure and I ended up in a similar situation when I opened Japanese double masters VIPs I lucked into, in the space of, I think, six packs, like six of the little VIP boxes, two foil borderless Japanese Forza wheels. And at one point, those were selling for two to $3,000 each. Jeez. And now you would be lucky to get about 1000 So by not selling into that hype and thinking, oh, this is Forza wheel, this will never go down. It's not that it goes down. It's that the people that really want them are a relatively narrow sh- swath of the market. And once they get what they need, the pressure alleviates on the market completely. The, the hype cycle moves on to something else. And because, you know, Force of Will is still a great card in EDH, but it's not a must play in the era where you have a whole bunch of other options. You know, you've got Subtlety, right. you've got Force of Negation, you've got Fierce Guardianship. There are other cards that fulfill these roles. And I was talking on, on uh, the Discord earlier this week about this premise that like one of the threats to specs longer term is just that the market is going to get continuously fragmented as you get thousands and thousands of more cards printed you end up having a whole bunch of overlapping cards that do sort of the same thing like give it another five years we're going to have our pick of a hundred different card draw engines in edh that are all like a or s tier Whereas 10 years ago, you had like five, right? Right. Like for years, you had kind of like Harmonize and Ristic Study and a couple of other things like Necropotence. And m- almost everything else was so far below those options that, you know, it was almost unplayable by comparison. And now you've got, you know, on your average game, you're going to see Black Market Connections, Protection Racket, Esper Sentinel, Ristic Study, and so on and so forth. And they just keep giving us more and more of these options as they try to, you know, keep products interesting. And so that fragmentization of the card pool and then the people being fragmented across multiple formats, because Magic is not a single format, it's a platform, as we've talked about many times, just means that if something is not S tier and applicable across a bunch of different decks, you better be sure that that theme is going to be popular because it's entirely possible that your you know B tier utility card is going to languish for years in the face of a bunch of other things being similar. A good example would be something like the Wedding Ring, which spiked really hard on relative scarcity uh, coming out of Crimson Vow, and there was some good money to be made and has since done nothing but languish because there are so many other options that it's you know a lot of people have forgotten that that card even exists yep and you just have a lot of reprints too that it maybe shifting a little bit to our next topic but uh looking through the jumpstart reprints there's a number of cards in there that i didn't even realize they were reprinting because no one bothered posting them but it's you know seeing second or third reprinting in a couple years and just totally blowing out those cards that at one point looked fairly promising so you always, I mean, with increased reprints, it comes increased risk. And so trying to find the, the pinnacle of the market, the equivalent of, you know, Mana Crypts, right? Nothing can do what Mana Crypt does like a Mana Crypt or a Jeweled Lotus or a Dockside Extortionist or things like that. And so I think the more 
things get fragmented, the more important it is to find those cards that are irreplaceable um, and, yeah. and try, try to stay focused. Because if you start buying into the things that are cute or, you know, you're trying to get ahead of the market, a lot of times, especially now, they're not going to pan out. Yeah, so like Wedding Ring Extended Art at a Val was around 30 this time last year, and now it's at 13. Yeah, I believe that. All right, so let's take a look at all these Jumpstart 2022, not to be confused with all the other Jumpstart pseudo products that they've thrown at us uh, earlier this year. This is a true Jumpstart release in the sense that it's got a bunch of new cards, and it's a bigger release than some of the ancillary products that have shared the name uh, in recent memory. Probably the most interesting stuff to pay attention to are the mythics that show up in a singular version of the deck and then be warned of the cards that are at a downshifted rarity that show up in all versions of the deck right because that stuff is getting a significant reprint right and we don't know which is which currently correct they're, they're putting out the cards but they haven't released the deck list so we don't know yet well my my, my understanding of rarity and jumpstart is that if it's a mythic it's only in one version of the deck Got it. I mean, that would make sense, yeah. But but it, we, I definitely need to see release notes to double-check that. So in the the way that this works is, of course, you take two Jumpstart packs, you open them, you shuffle them up, and you have a dual-theme deck that you've put together. And this is this is a rip-off of this other game, living card game, uh, called Smash Up that we played for years that was doing very well in the board game market. So one of the themes here is Shapeshifters. Probably the most interesting new card here is a thing called Pirated Copy. Four and a blue for a 0-0 Shapeshifter Pirate. One of a million clones. And this is actually a good example following through on the point from a few minutes ago. About, you know, at one point there was just Vesuvian Doppelganger and clone. Hmm. And now yeah. <laughs> there are, what, 30 different clones? All right, we're getting a new mythic clone every set, it feels like. Yeah. And so this one is enters the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it's a pirate. And in addition to its other types, and it has whenever this creature or another creature with the same name deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. So you can copy your own thing, and then both of those dealing combat damage to a player will draw you cards. So it's kind of like you copy one of your creatures, and they both turn into Ophidians. That is a step up from some of the other clones that are available. It's a pretty strong clone. You can also be political with it by copying somebody else's card that you want a copy of on the agreement that they're not going to attack you with it, and then they get to draw cards off it too. Yeah, and the extra one mana, I mean, it's it's something, but it's not backbreaking. I don't think. It seems like it, you're getting enough value for the extra one mana. Now, the big grab here isn't that there's fancy versions because there's no collector boosters or anything for Jumpstart, and there's no foils. This is a non-foil set. So instead, they're offering up uh, alternate anime art for a bunch of these cards. Um, one of the ones that they showed us off earlier was Kiki Jiki Mirror Breaker uh, with fantastic new art. Probably the best art ever for this card. That looks pretty cool. That's in the speedy theme. There is a Eldrazi World Breaker reprint with meh art. And that's a card that I'm sure is still sitting in my bad specs box from many moons ago when it was a green Tron piece. We've got in Dragons, nothing too exciting in terms of new cards, but there's a bunch of relevant reprints for the people that have been specking around Ur-Dragon. I mean, they're giving us Dragon Speaker Shaman, Dragon Lord Servant, and Non-Foil. And, you know, if you were holding stacks of that, you probably want to be out of that by now. Dragon's Hordes in there, too. Mm, 
There is new anime art for Kazmina Enigmatic Mentor. That would be the second time she's had that because she had it in War of the Spark, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Ristic Study is probably the biggest reprint of relevance here. This is available in the Go to School theme uh, and will certainly put a damper on Ristic prices, uh, assuming that enough Jumpstart sells and or is cracked to put significant copies into the market. I don't love the art on this. Uh, it features the character from Strixhaven that I don't care about, although I remember the character being cool. It's the I think it's the little girl wizard or planeswalker yeah, or something. Yeah, she was powerful. She had that little two drop, I remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, The I, I'm curious. So I looked at Ristic Study, because Ristic Study was in 2021 Jumpstart as well at the same rarity. And it looks like it got down in non-foil to about 21, 22 or something like that then scaled up to like 48 45 something like that and then now is back down to about 30 something so it's and it was also in the interim in the mystery boosters and yeah. also in there was a secret layer drop the the one for yeah, arcane arcane thank you yeah so i mean it's been it has been um resistant so far but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Because there, there's only so many times you can print something before it starts to turn from a $40 card into a $10 card. Yes. So that's one where I know when we talked about the Arcane uh, secret layer, we definitely stressed the foils because the foils have only relatively limited competition and the, the much higher price ceiling for the other competing versions. So glad to see this in non-foil only. Hopefully that continues to let those uh, arcane versions mature to you know a $60, $70 price tag. One of the other big reprints here with the anime art is Karn Liberated. I would imagine that version is going to be popular, especially since the Karn, the Mark Tiedon Karn in Double Masters goofy Karn. <laughs> it was very goofy, and this one is significantly better. I know there was there were people that were affectionate about the goofy one but it never rubbed me the right way i want my car to be a badass there's a walking ballista reprint in this urza's theme certainly of relevance there over in the blink theme emile the blessed catching i think that's a original jumpstart card is it not yes original jumpstart card and so um, that's that's being printed back to back into yeah and, i think it was just low supply so yeah. it was pretty expensive restoration angel again i mean don't ever expect to see that card worth money they've, they've just mm. put that in the bulk being rare status forever based on number of reprints pine harmonicon it's probably going to be in in similar situation given a reprint again here oh my god they keep printing that card it is card cards great but the can't can't survive that many printings there's a new anime art spell stutter sprite too bad fairies don't really matter anymore vendillion click would have upset people at some point but <laughs> nobody's holding that as a spec at present, so right. no big deal. No big deal there. Nothing really uh, super interesting in the fairies. The rats got Ash Coat of the Shadow Swarm, three and a black, three four rat warlock with some abilities. I'm not even going to bother to read because, frankly, if there's anything that's going to happen with rats here, it's going to be on pre-existing rat specs, not Ash Coat itself. I don't think it's going to drive a massive surge of rat decks. Uh, so I wouldn't want to get caught holding. On the other hand, I think Kibo Uktabi Prince is going to get a bunch of decks built, and I know some pro traders have been doing okay buying foil monkey specs as a result. That's the Monkey Noble. That's a 2-2. Tap. Each player creates a colorless artifact token named Banana. 
With tap, sacrifice this artifact, add red or green, you gain two life. And then whenever an artifact an opponent controls is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control that's an ape or a monkey. Whenever Kibo attacks, defending player sacks an artifact. That's fun. Art's cool. People are going to build that. I, I'm i not fun enough to play this card. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> I look at this and I'm just like, nope, that's not me. I know that somebody out there is going to have a blast of a time losing and just getting crushed, but they're going to be making their you know banana things and loving yep. it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. not me. <laughs> There's Runati, Behemoth Caller, 2 and a green, 1-3, Cat Shaman. Whenever you cast a creature spell with mana value 5 or greater, that creature enters the battlefield with X additional plus 1 plus 1 counters on it, where X is its mana value minus 4. That's a very convoluted way of saying the bigger it is, the more counters it gets. Creatures you control with 3 or more plus 1 plus 1 counters on them have haste. There's a bunch of Naya-esque decks that will care about this card. The uh, Lucia Kane x spells deck cares about this card but it's only a rare here so i think that this will be a rule player and unlikely to be a a relevant spec um nothing really jumping out at me in the cats uh thing i don't know if balan wandering knight is a new card or not this is a three three first strike for four has double strike as long as two or more equipment are attached to it, and you can pay one and a white to attach all equipment you control to Balin. That might be a new card. Yeah. I don't remember it from Not anywhere sure, else. Honestly. Yeah. Maybe I don't remember it from anywhere else. I think people will dig that art. I find a lot of the anime art pretty weak, very generic in the set, as opposed to what we got with War of the Spark Planeswalkers. This one is better than the average. So it looks like this is Commander 2017. I think most, most if not all, of the anime art is reprints. Okay. Sizon, Perverter of Truth, catching a reprint. Yeah, which is 20-some dollars now, so that's yep, going to so get that, crushed. Yeah, because that, that, that card is good, but the demand profile is not broad enough to prop it up. They showed us Rodolph Duskbringer in the vampire theme. This card is very good. Five and a black for a 4-4 four, four flying death touch lifelink. Whenever you gain life, Dustbringer gains indestructible until end of turn. So if you've got, like, on-demand life gain, you can just respond to everything but exile effects by just essentially phasing this guy out. At the beginning of your end step, you may pay one white or black. Whenever you do, return target creature card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, where X is the amount of life you gain this turn. This goes straight into my Aloro deck and any other deck like Lisa that cares about life gain. Uh, and it's going to do a lot of work. That Judge Full of Loro is up to $50 or something. I saw that today when I was yep, looking at it. I'm making, I'm making money on those along the yeah. way. New anime art on Oathsworn. Vampire, not that big a deal. The Blood Artist art, fine, not amazing. Probably the most important new card that they showed off is Creeping Bloodsucker, which is basically an Agent of Masks, which is a five casting cost card for two mana. Talk about Power Creep. One and a black for a 1-2. At the beginning of your upkeep, Creeping Bloodsucker deals one damage to each opponent. You gain life equal to that damage dealt that way. So in the early to mid game, before you kill somebody, this is dealing three every upkeep and you're gaining three. So in life game matters decks like Loro, you're going to mm-hmm. play this card. In the vampire decks like Edgar Markov that are perennially in the top 20 in Commander, this is going to get played in every vampire deck because it has a, a strong... A lot of the like smaller vampires don't do anything special. And because the Markov build tends to just be about piling counters onto your vampires, you don't really care what those vampires are. 
You just want them to have some cool utility function like Blood Artist or Creeping Bloodsucker, and then you're going to make them all into 4-4s four or 5-5s five and swing. So, yeah, th- this this is a good-looking common that, if it gets cheap enough, might be brickable, uh, given that it's limited to Jumpstart. If it was a common in something like Bro, it would be hard to make money on it, but I would be looking at foils in that case. I would guess that down the road, they'll do some van- vampire secret layer, and this will be a really good you know, borderless foil vampire to pick up at that point. Right, yeah. Uh, elves theme, nothing too excited revealed. So I think, like, if I'm looking at cards that I think have some room to grow, Creeping Bloodsucker, Rodolph, Ristic Study, obviously, is a key spec here. Grab it whenever it gets as low as it can possibly get, and then hope they don't reprint it again within the year. Yeah, I got burned on some of those. I, uh, I had my set and forget it priced at 45. I think it was at 41 when it, they announced the reprint. Yeah, so I'm gonna have to. The, the buy list is already down from 31 CK cash to 23. Yeah, so just in the day. Yeah, I mean all all my ristics are judge foil, and I guess I have some arcanes. Yeah, so this the, is arcane. So I mean, I, I got in cheap enough where you know I'll probably just break even. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. With considering everything else, in the bundle, if not, still come ahead. Honestly, did did anything else jump out at you that I missed? No, I think that's it. I mean, I think the the other thing I took away, we talked on some of this, but just the number of, of reprints in here. I mean, they're just dumping a bunch of cards at us that, you know, Hanger Back Walker and, we, you know, we talked about a number of others already that, you know, you just see these and you're like, well, those middling cards are getting, they have to fill these slots with something. And so they're filling them with these type of cards that, you know, maybe five years ago would have been able to do okay. And now they just get printed into dust. And so I think it just beats back that Tavares Buzzle Box is in there again after being reprinted in the secret layer and a bunch of other places. So, uh, But otherwise, yeah, I think you covered all the main cards. I think we're, I'm expecting we'll still see a bunch of more previews next week. That would be my guess. No, my understanding is that Jumpstart was all supposed to come out within two days. So I is think that this it? is more or less it, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Interesting. Um, Right, well, we got a tight 90 minutes going here. Where can people find you online? Yeah, well, you can find me online on Twitter at Oko Assassin. And occasionally I do write an article or here, article or two on mtgprice.com, although it's been a little while. How about you, James? You can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. tell you, just in terms, I was doing a group buy roundup for the year, and we are well into the seven figures, so there are savings to be had, folks. Absolutely. Well, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best of Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order and support this podcast. James, that brings us to the end of this episode. Really appreciate our discussion as always. Thank you, Derek. Good to have you back, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.